The Future is Inclusive is produced on Ngunnawal country and we pay our respects to elders past, present and future, especially those who identify as having a disability. This amazing boss who saved my life, basically, she sat me down and said, I don't care if you're only here two hours a week. You are giving me outstanding work in two hours and I have high expectations of you and you're meeting them. This is The Future is Inclusive and that was the voice of Naomi Barnbaum with a pretty great example of reasonable adjustment in the workplace. I'm Cara Matthews and this episode is all about employment. How can allies make workplaces more accessible and inclusive for people with disability? We'll hear more from Naomi soon, but today my co-host is once again the lovely Ruth O'Brien. Hi. Hello, Cara. How are you? Really excited to have you here. Thank you. What are the barriers to employment for people with disabilities? From my experience, they're quite vast and maybe subtle. Um, Some people probably don't realise they exist, but I think that can start from when a person goes to apply for a job. I think that if you say in your application that you have a disability, you're less likely to be picked. That's from my personal experience. So there's definitely a stigma, I think, attitudinally from employers who don't really understand anything about people with disability. Um, There's an assumption about what people with disability can and can't do without looking at how that disability might actually be an advantage in their employment because they're able to think more creatively in problem solving or they've already got a broad way of doing different things. So it's adding to the diversity of the organisations. I think the application process can also be a barrier. Some people aren't able to apply for jobs in the same way that others are. Yeah, so I agree. I think it does start from the application process. And I think a lot of people think when they think about barriers to employment, they think about the barriers in the workplace. Mm. But really, a lot of the places where it gets stopped is before you've even got the job. Mm. Certainly something that I have noticed, I think, is that people with disabilities, and especially in my experience, people with intellectual disabilities, don't know what they can ask for. Mm. You know, they don't know that they can say, I need more time with the questions or I need you to not ask me three questions in one sentence, which Mm. I've got to say doesn't work for me either. No, no. Just an all around confusing way to ask a question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Right. What about in the workplace? Again, needs to be more understanding about disability generally. And that does start from when we are thinking about recruitment and recruitment processes. But yeah, when we get into the workplace... Sometimes reasonable adjustment might look very different from one person to the next. So if you need more time to work from home, that potentially should be an option in the job from the very beginning. If you need different equipment, then that should just be a given. And there is funding around that for employers and applicants should they need it. So let's hear the rest of what Naomi Barnbon has to say because she has a really incredible story about this. I'll tell you a little bit about her. Um, Naomi is 32 and lives with chronic pain. When she was 21, she started getting symptoms of what was eventually diagnosed as two different things. One is ankylosing spondylitis, which is an autoimmune degenerative arthritis and fibromyalgia. So this all started happening at the same time that she moved to Canberra to begin her career. I 
kind of just kept plugging away, saying, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. But then the cracks really started to show. Unfortunately, um, coinciding with the cracks really starting to show, I got a job at another department. I moved over there to start what I hoped would be a career there, but just found that it was not as human a workplace as what I'd come from. And I spent almost three years there really battling away every day just for dignity and respect um, and the sort of support to do my job. And all I was really asking for was flexibility. But I kept getting the social message Um, whether it would be meetings where someone would say people with disabilities are resource burdens, we'd never send them overseas. Um, Things like that would just really crush my confidence but also make me think, you have to keep this a secret, you can never let anyone know, which is so counterproductive to actually just saying, hey, I've got this thing and if you can just let me be a little bit flexible sometimes and um, just help me get to work by maybe having a slightly later start time some days and maybe when I've been really busy or really stressed, just letting me ease off a little bit, which is all I was asking for. Uh, I can be a really valuable contributor to the workplace. So after those really difficult years, I ran into a colleague from my former workplace and she said, how's the new job going? And I said, you know what, I can't lie today. It's awful. I hate it. And she said, would you like to come back? And she arranged a transfer. That took a few months. But by the time I came back, I felt like I should be thanking people or even paying people for taking me on. That's how bad my confidence was. And this amazing boss who saved my life, basically, she sat me down and said, I don't care if you're only here two hours a week. You are giving me outstanding work in two hours. In fact, you should put in for promotion because in two hours you are doing that job and you should be paid for that and I have high expectations of you and you're meeting them. That was just such a different message than what I'd been hearing for the last few years that I could still have ambition and I could still do a good job and that someone saw me and believed in me. Turns out that working in a really nurturing, supportive, caring workplace um, is also good for your health and so I'm up to pretty much full time now because they started the conversation with how can I help you do the best job and what do we need to do to support you? It wasn't, here's a framework, you must fit into it. And the catch cry has been boundaries, not limitations. So that's something I have to work to as well because I love my job and I love the people I work with, but I have to also keep to that boundary. And fortunately, my colleagues and workplace are really respectful of those boundaries as well. Wow. So I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, that story kind of upset me. Hearing some of those things like, oh, yes, no, I can do it. You know, people with disabilities are resource burdens and I should be thanking people for employment, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. It kind of hits home. That's not okay for anyone to feel no. in a job, you know, um, and I'm really glad that she's now in a workplace where, mm. where it's... Um, a lot more supportive Mm. Um, and it sounds like she's, you know, an incredible value Mm. to the organisation. 
I think it's really important to recognize how important employment is in our lives. Mm. You know, it's such a huge part of everyone's lives. And when you don't have it and are trying to get it, that's a huge burden Mm. on us, you know. And when you do have it and you're not in a place where you're supported, Mm. we spend so much time of our lives. I feel like if you're not having a good time at work, It kind of feels like you're not having a good time anywhere in your mm, life. Absolutely, yeah. I've I've left jobs for that very reason. If mm. I've not been enjoying what I'm doing, even if I've been paid adequately for it, I I value my my time much more than I value the money mm. and the contribution that I'm making. When I was about 20, I had a major breakdown. Um and I had to leave my job and go live with my mother and, you know, and she had to write me notes in the morning kind of reminding me to get up and to eat breakfast and this is what you're going to have for breakfast. Remember to wash your dishes and, you know, remember to have a shower. You know, Mm. I couldn't remember any of these things. Mm. And I don't think it would have been as bad had I not had a bad workplace. And I also don't think I would have recovered as well as I have without the positive influences of my workplaces since then. And even, you know, before I left, I, so I had a bad workplace and then I went to a different workplace, Mm. but then kind of the breakdown happened after that. Once I started processing everything that had happened at the previous workplace. Mm. And one story that really gets me is the, the head of that place that I was working at right before I left, you know, very, very high up. And I was the receptionist. I was the absolute lowest of the lowest rungs, Mm. right? And right before, as, as it became very apparent that I wasn't doing well, you know, I was forgetting things and, and, um, things weren't getting done and I was being late all the time and horrible things were happening. And, and this workplace immediately went, okay, what's wrong here? Not, we have a performance issue. What's going on for this person? Mm. And this head, head, head of the organization came down one day with his envelope, with his mail. And normally I'd just take it down. And he went, no, I think I'm going to go for a walk. Why don't you come with me? And he took 10 or 15 minutes out of his day just to walk with me to the post office to see how I am, Mm. to check in and see if I was okay. And that really struck me. It ended up actually allowing me to leave Mm. and go, okay, well, I need some time. I can't work right now. I'm too sick. If we're talking about tools that allies can take, take that walk to the post office, mm. no matter how busy you are, no matter what, how low on the rung they are, check in with them because it goes a really long way. Mm. I don't think there's a person in the world who can't relate to that, you know, that everyone wants to be checked in with or even if they don't, to know that they have the option to say, I'm kind of struggling here, you know. This idea, this thing that Naomi said where she heard someone in a meeting say people with disabilities are resource burdens. Mm. Where do you think that idea comes from? Well, I've heard before that some people assume that people with disability are going to take more sick days, which I think for me probably is true. If I'm expected to work full time, I know that I can't do that. The societal standard of nine to five, that just doesn't suit me. And I've realised that what works best for me is four days a week at the, at the most and probably five hours a day. That's just me. But for many people with disability, they can work full time. Their disability doesn't affect what they can do or the hours that they can do. They might need some other adjustments. So mm. I think there is maybe an association about disability and health generally 
and what that is going to cost an organization, which mm. is pretty bullshit. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> so when we're talking about how to set up a workplace, in terms of a structure with which all of these things can go under. I know that you and I are outside of this are working on disability inclusion action plans. Mm. I think they're a really great way to kind of set up a workplace and get policies and procedures and ideas around how to make things better for people with disability. Yeah, so disability inclusion action plans often give people an idea of how to approach different situations before they've happened or We'll learn from situations that have happened and how they're going to make changes around those in the future, whether they're physical access issues, whether they're adjustments to the hours somebody works, attitudinal and behaviour barriers that need to be addressed. And, yeah, also communication within the workplace. So if, if there's appropriate written materials and different formats of documentation so that people can access the same information. It's important for every organisation to think about DAPs, as we shorten them to, because it's making inclusion a conscious thing, which I think at this point in time in history needs to happen because we so often think we're inclusive until we're not and then we're unconscious biases happen and, and that's where a lot of discrimination occurs. It's not necessarily because we're trying to be discriminatory. It's because we've learned these misconceptions and believe them or have these biases that we're not even aware of. So I want to hear an employer's perspective on this. Samantha Cordes is a pharmacist and owns a chemist in Canberra. So you have a story about hiring in your uh, in your chemist. Yep. Um, you have an employee named Jack. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, it's a great story. I love telling Jack's story. <laughs> uh, so I've been the owner of Capital Chemist Charmwood for six years. So six years ago, we employed about 20 people and today we employ 50. Wow. Uh, we serve a really big community and it's always been at the forefront of my mind that we serve a really diverse community. Um, old people and young people, men and women, different races and the whole entire gamut of health conditions and disabilities. And so I, from the beginning, really strive to have a workforce that represented the people that we serve because we are all not 40-year-old white women. <laughs> so I started actually, before Jack came along, uh, inquiring with some providers for how I might be able to create a position for somebody who had a different ability to the normal people I was employing. And that was an interesting journey. We met a few young adults um, who, interestingly, didn't have much support from carers and families and loved ones around them. And so I learned early on that that was a really important part of the equation. Mm -hmm. So about three years ago, Jack's family approached me and said, we've got a young son who's 16 and he's looking for work experience, but he does have some disability. And admittedly, I didn't know anything about Jack's disability at that mm -hmm. stage. So Jack uh, has severe autism. It's about the mental age of about a seven-year-old. And I really didn't know what that looked like. But with the incredible support from his family, they were really generous and authentic with teaching me all about Jack. And so he came and did work experience. And then about a year after that, after jumping through many, many hoops, we were able to start paying him. And he's been a permanent employee ever since. 
So you mentioned you were jumping through a bunch of hoops. What were some of those hoops and challenges? Yeah. So first of all, we spoke to his school uh, and said, any idea how we can employ Jack? And they said, you've got to be joking. Jack's not employable. (laughs) And it was quite interesting because Jack and his family, and Jack was essentially nonverbal, but one of Jack's first sentences was, was, I feel the robot. So he's our robot controller. Mm -hmm. We have a big robot at the pharmacy and he feels it. Uh, with all the medication that comes in every day. So, you know, it's totally opened him up. But he would tell people that he packs the robot. His family would say he works at a chemist and people were just in awe, quite quite disbelieving. So we didn't get any support from school. Uh, so I contacted a couple of ministers in the ACT at the time who put me in touch with some service providers who really didn't know what to do because of the level of Jack's disability It was really lonely and I was really frustrated because all I wanted to do was pay him. And his mum said to me, this isn't my priority, getting a paid position for Jack. Um, I'm happy for him to just keep coming. But I really wanted to pay him because he was adding value to my business. Mm. He was performing a really important task and he'd become part of our team. So I eventually, with the help of Google, because no one else was helping, found the supported wage scheme and kind of traversed that space by myself. Mm-hmm. One of the barriers we've found is the level of disability of these young people. Uh, so I've worked with a couple of service providers who really couldn't grapple the enormity of their needs. So I found it quite interesting, the work that I've done. And in all honesty, every one of my employees is dis- disabled. We right. all have something going on. We yeah. have severe anxiety. We have chronic pain. We have migraines. Um, we have an amputee. We have all kinds of things. And I'd never really considered them yeah, right. to be disabled. Um, and I suppose maybe that's one thing for me as an employer. I just look mm-hmm. at people's ability and match them to the job. If there are other employers out there who, who would really like to employ um, people with disabilities, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I would start with, first of all, I think at the core of it, your commitment to diversity and inclusion in your team needs to come first Mm -hmm. because there is a fair administrative load that comes with it and there's a lot of learning and adaptation that comes with it as well and change and some people don't like that. So you have to be prepared to really work hard and bring the team along with you. So providing you've got that, then there are, you know, you can start looking into fair work, you can start talking to job access, you can start talking to the Chamber for Small Business um, and doing some research online as to what support's out there for you. Mm -hmm. I have found over the years that there are disability employment service providers and my tip there would be research them, talk to them, find out why they're in business, Mm -hmm. you know, what are their core values, What type of people are on their books? What's the vision and the dream of those people? Because the most important thing for everybody, the employer, the person you're employing, the team and the people that you serve is that you get it right. Mm. I'm also an employer of people with disabilities and a person with a disability myself. Um, And one of the things that I have noticed um, is the value that they bring Mm. to my team. So can you tell me Um, what's some of the value that Jack and and your other employees bring? Yeah, I certainly can. So the other young man that I employ is Mitch. One of the things him and Jack have in common is they bring this pure joy and enthusiasm and gratitude with them to work. Mm -hmm. So if we talk about Jack, he's probably the biggest Wiggles fan in Australia (laughs) and his communication isn't fantastic. It's come a really long way in three years. But one thing he can do is sing Wiggles for hours and hours. (laughs) 
So meanwhile, in the front of the pharmacy, where we've got hundreds of people coming through the door, the three hours that he's with us four days a week, sometimes it is absolutely chaotic and stressful. And all you can really hear is Jack singing (laughs) (laughs) or clapping. And it's, it just, it brings you back to reality. It makes you really present. A lot of our community now says, oh, Jack's at work. How's he going? If they can't hear him, they're like, is Jack there? Because he, he doesn't like people. He doesn't like crowds. And which is why this job's perfect for him. He's behind the robot. Uh, So he comes to work. He's really happy to be there. He brings joy and commitment and enthusiasm with him. He brings a lot of challenges as well. But all of that combined, it reminds my staff to be grateful for their job, for their health, for their well-being, for their family. It reminds them not to sweat the big stuff, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Jack turns up and just, just gets the job done mm. every single day. Uh, and it's also taught them to be inclusive, understanding They've all had to learn about Jack and how to manage some of his outbursts mm-hmm. uh, and communicate with him. And then they've also been a really strong advocate for when sometimes Jack will come out into the pharmacy and he will grab you when you're with a patient and they have to advocate for Jack with that patient and say, mm-hmm. oh, this is Jack. He just needs me for a moment. Can you please excuse me? And so the community's had to come on that journey with them. We actually have another young man who we, he's a contractor for us. He does a delivery service three days mm-hmm. a week. His name's Isaac. When he comes into the store, he's very, very loud. And that can be really distressing for staff and customers sometimes. Mm-hmm. So we have learnt with his family that we can make some adjustments so he doesn't get as distressed. So we've moved where he picks up his delivery. We make sure that there's some really quiet conversation with him, that it's not loud and it's not rushed and we give him the time. Mm -hmm. So there haven't been any real physical adjustments. It's just been awareness, understanding, making time to learn from the family because everybody's unique. And just because someone has a label of a disability doesn't mean you can read a definition of it and you're like, I know what that person will be like. The family needs to really help you out. Mm-hmm. We've worked together a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thankfully. <and> we, yes. <laughs> um, and we, you know, you had some, you had some, some conflicting feelings around disability, around the word, around identifying. Can you tell us a bit about that journey? For a long time, I didn't openly identify with having disability myself because of the way that I saw people with disability being treated or thought of in society. It's been, yeah, it's been quite a a journey for me the last couple of years, especially because I've realised that talking about it with pride actually is a really empowering thing. I think for a long time I was hung up on the actual word disability because the dis in the word I found quite negative. It kind of highlighted for me what I couldn't do or what I was seen to not be able to do rather than what I could do. And I think that is a a common thing for people with disability. What's particularly helped me is understanding the social model of disability, which I think we've chatted about a little bit, but basically that's talking about how the environment that we're in or society disables us, not our medical conditions. And that really started to ring true with me when I started to think about that more and apply it because it suddenly put the onus on other people 
it wasn't because there was something wrong with me. It was that there's something wrong with how we treat people with disability. And people with disability are called people with disability because they're being disabled by society. And one of the adjustments, again, saying things you've told me back to you, because yeah. um, <laughs> you said a, a really excellent thing earlier where you said one of the things that allies can do is to create jobs around people's skills rather than trying to push them mm. into a job description. Mm. Um, can you tell us wh- how they might do that and, and why that would be useful? I guess as somebody who's, I guess, quite business-minded myself, I am often looking at ways to further my own self-employment and potentially in the future employ other people. Um And I think there's a tendency often for us to think about growing our businesses in a way that's financial or thinking about success in a very superficial way. But if we want to think about long-term sustainability within our business, whatever that is, then we've got to think about how to utilise people's skills that they already have without having to just continually train. And I think if we build jobs around the skills of the people that are applying for the jobs that are presented to us within our immediate circles, then we kind of grow a business or an organisation that's much more organic. I've tried to create my work around what I am good at. And that's not just because of my disability, that's because of my interests. And I think when you're doing something that you feel good at, then that builds confidence. And confidence is so important to just get through the day-to-day, you know. It also makes you better at learning the things you do need to be trained for. Yeah, it makes you open to conversations around, I'm not very good at that. And being able to say that is an important thing. So Naomi talked about how she wasn't given a framework to work within. That's really important. We need to know what is it that our our jobs Mm. are. But I think beyond that, that framework needs to be created around who we are. And I think that it's possible to do that mm. for most jobs. You know, my sister recently just went for a job and um, and when she went in, she was like, this is what I can do. And they were like, look, we have this general idea of what we need from this person. But depending on who the person is, if you're the right fit for the team, we will change the job depending on what's going to work for you. Mm. And so I think that's a really great segue into talking about the tools that we have for allies mm. out of this episode, right? Yeah. Think about what is required for the job, but be open to how it can be done. Create jobs around people's skills rather than trying to fit them into a, into an already created box. And don't make assumptions about what they're going to need, what reasonable assessments they need, whether or not they're going to be a burden. Think about doing a disability inclusion action plan. Actually, don't think about it. Do it. Do it. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really, really important. And talk to the people affected. Talk to people with disabilities because they're the experts mm. really in this. Mm. When thinking about reasonable adjustment, think about how can I support you to be part of this job. Boundaries, not limitations, as Naomi said. And finally, take that walk to the post office. Check in. So thank you so much for your time today, Ruth. It's always really a pleasure to talk to you um (laughs) it's really great to have you back in our next episode we're going to have a look at access to education what's the art stuff you do anime anime and manga yeah Yeah. and there's lots of that in there isn't there yeah yeah art and good 
Teacher, not the hater, hater ones. So the hater ones. So yes. keep to the good teachers and ignore yes. the hater ones, huh? Yes. That's next time. And if you want more people to join you on this mission to Gold Star Allyship, please, please tell them about this podcast. Uh, rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you are using and give us a shout out on social media. If you want to get in touch with us, please email thefutureisinclusivepodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is funded by the ACT Office for Disability. Thank you very much to Ruth O'Brien, Naomi Barnbaum, and our producer, Kim Lester. <laughs>